Hello, everyone, and welcome to Listen Closely with John and Chris. I am John, or at least that's what it says on my passport that I cannot use these days. Uh, with me, as always, is a man who's equally trapped within the confines of the uh, world in which he lives, Chris out on the West Coast. Hello, Chris. Hello, John. How are things? Things are good. Things are good. You know, that makes me yeah. think of how we always talk about how it would be very cool to have uh, dual citizenship and, and two passports. It would. Yeah, I've thought a lot about that lately. You know yeah. what I've thought a lot about, too? We've, we've discussed over the years many times. Like, if you had to just, just, you had to up and go, disappear, go somewhere where no one would find you. Yeah. Um, what... And I've actually looked into this, which is, you know, really troubling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's one of the places, maybe you don't want to give the exact place, but what's one of the places that you would go to? Tenerife. Um, God, I, I just need a country. I need a country. You need a country. Oh, I mean, I, I'd think of New Zealand. You know, some of the Caribbean islands, maybe the smaller ones. Maybe Grenada. Yeah. Didn't we bomb them in 83? We did. We did. Yeah, right around then. Um, that was cool. What, what are you thinking? Panama. Panama. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not quite full-blown South America. Well, it's central. Yeah. It's central, but it's getting near the south. Um, you don't know a whole lot about it, except like a lot of people hid drug money there. They have a canal. You know, the canal, I mean, you hop on the canal, you can go to the Pacific, you can go to the Atlantic. I mean, what more could you want? Right. Exactly. So, like, if I had to escape again, I would think that, you know, that would make it easy. Yeah. That's a pretty good choice. Well, listen, if, you know, when we wrap up this amazingly successful podcast of ours, if I suddenly disappear, I think the... There's a chance you could find me somewhere in Panama. Well, you know, there's a reason that Van Halen sang about it. It's inherently cool. Let's jump into things here, because now you have me thinking about all these faraway lands. Why don't you tell our listeners about tonight's incredible, or this week's incredible album? Yeah, we're going back 45 years. It's the second week in a row, oddly enough, that we're doing an eponymous album that is not a debut album. This is actually the 10th studio album uh, by a band that had a bunch of different incarnations up to this point. But in 1975, they mixed it up and they stuck the landing. The band is Fleetwood Mac. The album is Fleetwood Mac, or as Fleetwood Mac fans know it, in some cases, the White Album. The White Album, that's right. And it is quite an album. I, at the very least, am here this week to um, put rumors to rest. <laughs> See what I did there? That's wow. Yeah. You've been sitting this, up for weeks. Yeah, well, for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> this is arguably, in my opinion, the most impressive album by the famous Fleetwood Mac lineup. And by that, I mean the mid-70s to the late 1980s and the one that reunited in 1997. Yes, Rumors is the one that is wise, widely praised by fans and critics alike, and it was recently in the charts again, thanks to that silly TikTok challenge. 
But I sometimes, Christopher, feel that people praise rumors more for the soap operatic turmoil that the band was mired in at the time of its, its making instead of the actual songs on the album, which the songs are outstanding. But in my opinion, song for song, this 1975 eponymous album is as good as rumors. And I think in some ways it, it could be in some ways even better. Wow. I, I think it's up there. I think it's a, it's an argument, but I, I would disagree that I, I don't think rumors is overhyped. I think rumors is, is tremendous. I think part of what, uh, rumor suffers from, and this one does a little bit too. Some of Fleetwood Mac's songs, they are so famous and so accessible, and they've gotten so much radio play for the last 40, 45 years that I think sometimes they can start to get watered down a little after all this time and all these listens. Um, and for me, listening to this one, what I really enjoyed is that I think this one has more, definitely has more deep cuts, uh, you know, kind of sleeper tracks than rumors. Um, so I think in some ways it's a little fresher. Um, I, I think it is overall though, it's just an incredibly seamless album. Um, it's sort of effortless, you know, it never feels like anything is out of place. One song just rolls into another. Um, and it just has this real warmth to it, I feel like. There's definitely a warmth. I think um, it's a little more raw than Rumors, which I think Rumors is incredibly well produced. Mm. Um, and I think there's a rawness and an intensity to this album that I really, really like. And I agree with what you had to say. I think. Rumors doesn't really have any deep cuts. Rumors really doesn't have any sleeper tracks. And we're going to get to Rumors in a future season. Um, but this album has more surprises to it, I think, because yeah. it has a few tracks that you don't hear often or a few tracks that you don't hear at all, which I think is, it, it makes it quite impressive. Yeah. And, I think this album really represented a turning point for the band. They were already a well-established blues band dating back to the 19, late 1960s with a bit of a cult following, but you know, widespread commercial success had eluded them until this album. And it's not coincidental that this success coincided with the addition of, of course, vocalist Stevie Nicks and guitarist Lindsey Buckingham to the band. Uh, previous guitarist Bob Welch who had given us that amazing solo song, uh, Sentimental Lady. Oh, so uh, remember the video to that? It's so creepy. Check it out <laughs> when you get a chance. Um, he departed the band in 1974, leaving the band in a bit of a bind. Mick Fleetwood had heard the amazing guitar virtuosity of a young Lindsey Buckingham and invited him to join the band. But... Buckingham was part of an acoustic rock duo known as Buckingham Knicks and insisted that they were a package deal. The Knicks being Buckingham's partner in crime, his musical partner and his sometime girlfriend. McFleetwood reluctantly agreed and the rest is history. Indeed. 
And, you know, one of the things that that did that I think makes Fleetwood Mac such a special band is when they added those two, they really, they added two great vocalists in addition to Christine McVie, who was already there. So you've got a rare band where they have, they can go in three different directions uh, with a lead singer on a song. And, and they're very different directions. Um, and I think that just gives them so many options. It's, it's amazing the diversity of, uh, of sound that they can get with those three. You're 100% correct. It, it, I think it made the world of a difference and I think it made this band incredibly unique, uh, in, in my opinion. And I think that this album is an example of perfectly crafted 70s acoustic rock yes. that only occasionally bears off course in, into some harder rock sounds now and then. Yep. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to it that uh, I think it's as strong as rumors. And it's not unlike the debate of, of Radiohead. Do you like the Benz or OK Computer? The two albums are perfect companion pieces to one another, similar in some ways, different in many. But I feel like one album couldn't possibly exist without the other. Mm. And uh, I think, again, the thing that, that sometimes bother me a little bit about rumors is that I think people get a little too hung up with the antics surrounding the making of the album. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were an interesting set of circumstances that were going on, not unlike what we spoke of a few weeks ago with Derek and the Dominoes and the Layla album. Right. But I think that people are too obsessed with that. Again, I go back to what I said a moment ago. I think the songs here, uh, for my money, are just as strong. It's a great group of songs, yeah. And, and I think they're... I really just... I feel like it's the kind of album that you put on and one song just flows into the next um, so well. You know, it never feels like it's, it's trying too hard. I actually feel like I listened to this album start to finish a, a few times and I found that like if I put this album on and I'm, you know, lounging on the couch and just kind of giving it my full attention, it blows you away. If you put it on and you're kind of doing other stuff, you know, I had it on one day while I was working, it can almost, it's so smooth, it can almost get kind of lost a little bit. Um, which is not, it's not a criticism of it. I mean, I think it's just the nature of the album. And I think maybe, you know, that's in part like why it doesn't, in addition to all the external stuff, doesn't get as much attention as rumors. Um, but yeah, it's one, if you, you just sit down, a glass of wine, you know, late in the evening, put this album on. It's like 42, 43 minutes that you are going to just love. It takes you in. It really absorbs you. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I think the, uh, yeah. the critics tend to agree as well. Yeah. How's, how'd you like that for a segue? That's pretty good, right? It's nice, yeah. Thanks, thanks. I'm glad you appreciate it. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine said that upon its release, that Fleetwood Mac is easily the group's best and most consistent album. The four songs written and sung by Christine McVie make it clearer than ever that she's one of the best female vocalists in pop. McVie's singing, slightly husky, not beautiful, but unaffected, is simply captivating. She does everything right. 
Oof, I know you love that because I know you are a huge Christine McVie fan. Huge McVie fan. Um, <laughs> Rolling Stone would later go on to rank the album number 182 in their original list of top 500 albums of all time. Hmm. The Village Voice gave it an A- minus upon its release. And the album would eventually peak at number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 200 charts in September of 1976, after spending more than a year on the charts. Yeah, yeah. I read that they, you know, at first it it didn't really come out gangbusters, but they toured and kind of played the heck out of this album, and uh, you know, eventually it it just it popped. And imagine this: they do that, like you said, Chris. So they tour, they play gangbusters out of this album. The album tops the chart finally in September of 1976. And then presumably it stays on the chart for a little bit after that. And then less than a year later, they release rumors. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And it really speaks to the, the talent in the band and, and cocaine, really. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it, it's got to be one of the greatest you know, back-to-back album situations ever. I mean, you've got, you know, if there's maybe 25 songs total on those two albums, I, you know, 20, 25 songs, I, there's at least like 15 really good songs. There are. I was thinking about that earlier today. It's funny you should say that because if you look at like a Fleetwood Mac greatest hits compilation or something like that, the bulk of the hits came out between 75 and rumors was what 77 so the bulk of the hit and that's not to take anything away from tusk which has its moments and has a few hits and mirage and tango in the night right but the bulk of the hits come from these two albums and you're absolutely right i can't think of a better back-to-back sequence of albums yeah no i mean you know when we get into our picks I I considered no less than seven songs for my zenith of this album, which is by far the most of any album we've done. I mean, usually it's like, all right, there's two or three that are, you know, are really up there. But this one's seven that I considered. That's insane. Yeah. Wait till you hear my zenith. Oh, I can't wait. It's crazy. Yeah. Shall we get to the picks? Let's do it. Let's do it. So with that in mind, this should be interesting. Uh, Talk to me about your Nadir. Were you able to even find a Nadir, Chris? I was. To me, the Nadir was actually pretty easy. Um, Is it the hat that John McVie is wearing on the back cover? (laughs) no but that is pretty amazing it Uh, is really they do have some some pretty great album covers just (laughs) (laughs) well you notice something interesting i was reading about their album covers during this era of the band there's never more no single fleetwood mac album cover features all five members of the band on it it's usually just two or three members at most Right, right. And this one, you've got uh, 
what is it? It's it's Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. John McVie, right? correct. Uh, John, is it John McVie who is like made to look like a uh, a midget? midget? Yeah, a little person, Chris. Yeah. Little person. Little person. Like uh, he kind of looks like Dorf. The, uh, the butler. <laughs> um, he does. He does. Yeah, but uh, three, three, yeah. There's there's one song on here that that jumped out pretty clearly. Um, you know, when we do these, the nadirs, like they kind of range from, man, it's hard to find one. This one's just not quite as good to, I really don't like this song. And this one is somewhere in the middle of that. It, it's more towards the grading side, I would say. And that is the ninth track, World Turning. Hmm. Um, I just think it's not that good. It's a little bit grading. Uh, the refrain kind of just wears on you. And to me, it just, it's the one time on the album where I, I kind of think, eh, I kind of want to skip ahead. Really? Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, is it the worst song in the world? No. But, um, but yeah, I just don't think it's anywhere near up to par with the rest of the album. I think that's a very good assessment, actually. Well, what did you pick it as well for your Nadir? Listen, there's not a bad song on this album. In fact, I don't even think there's a mediocre song on the album. Mm-hmm. But, and I've used this line before on our Hotel California episode, where I felt similarly that there's really not a bad song on that album. If Irving Azoff held a gun to my head, same manager, different band, <laughs> I would have to pick. Track number nine, World Turning. Hmm. I actually think it's a pretty good song, albeit not quite as strong as the other songs in this album. The issue I have, Chris, with World Turning is the placement. It's, again, it's a good song. I see what you mean. It can kind of be a little grating. Um, But I like the Buckingham-McVee combo, which you don't see often. That is true. Um, although it, it sounds much better a few years later on the Mirage album with Hold Me. Oh, it's one of my all-time favorites. Oh, inc- I mean, we could do a whole episode on that song. Yeah. Um, in the creepy video in the desert. <laughs> yeah, it's a great video. <laughs> but but um, I feel like this, so World Turning comes on the heels of Say You Love Me and Landslide. And two songs before, I'm so afraid. And I don't know. I think the song is okay, but I think it would leave a much stronger impression if it were somewhere on the first side of the album. Because it's more of like an upbeat, up-tempo song? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I think it just fits better. Like they stuck it after Rihanna, before Over My Head on side one. I think it would have been better. Um, again, not a bad song, but if I were forced to pick in the deer, that would be it, and that's why. Okay. See, I, I, I'm a little more, I'm leaning a little bit t- more towards it's not a good song than you. Um, really? I mean, you're really yeah. going to go as far as to say it's not a good song? I, you know, not a good I've never written a song in my life, so I don't want to be saying that it's not a good song, but... Uh, you, the man who saw Buckingham on a solo tour, is going I, to say that? 
look, I love Lindsey Buckingham, and we're going to get to that later. Um, I just don't think I don't think it's a particularly good song. Yeah, yeah. Well, million, right 99 percent of them are good and i think they missed the he missed the boat on this one you know he and chrissy i should hope that someday when you are hiding out in the canary islands <laughs> that you don't find yourself at some seaside bar with world turning playing and <laughs> i fear that it could start an issue <laughs> i i think i'd make do i think i'd make do <laughs> all right okay so Let's move on, though, from the Nadir, and let's go to your sleeper moment, please. Oh, man, there's, there's a bunch of good sleepers here. Um, you know, and it narrowed it down from maybe five down to, to two, and in the end, um, to me, I went with the second track, Warm Ways, uh, a Chrissy McVie vehicle. Um, I think What a song. It's beautiful. It's... Got this kind of sultry guitar from Buckingham, you know, very slow and relaxed, kind of a classic Chrissy McVie, um, just smooth as as anything. You know, the the lyrics, not a lot to them, but they're they're powerful in their simplicity. Sleep easy by my side, into gentle slumber you can hide. I'm waiting for the sun to come up. I can't sleep with your warm ways. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very, there's just a lot of, pardon the pun, warmth to this song. And, uh, and it's a sex, it's a damn sexy song. It really is. I, God, I love this song. And I've always felt that Fleetwood Mac can veer off into yacht rock a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but when they do, it's always on the Christine McVie song. Yeah. Something about her. Absolutely. There's a sexiness, like you said, and the, this calm, soothing, mellow vibe to her songs that I just, I absolutely love. That's exactly it. That her songs are so, so mellow and, and a, but not mellow without being boring. You know, they're exactly all, it's like this sort of relaxed control that she has. Um, yeah, no, great, great song. I, I think her stuff in particular kind of lends itself to being sleeper songs because, you know, Buckingham is very over the top. Stevie Nicks voice is sort of so iconic and grabs you. Um, but McVie, man, she is damn good. Uh, and she, yeah, you're right. It, it really is the definition of, of it, it lends itself well to the sleeper songs. And I think this really is the definition of the sleeper song. It's a beautiful song, and whereas you hear far more frequently on, on the radio all throughout the years, uh, Don't Stop, although Don't Stop's all of them. Um, right. Tell Me Lies, for example. Right. Um, you don't hear Warm Ways all that often. I hear it now and then. Yeah, um, rarely. It's really, really an incredible, beautiful song. Yeah. Now, what did you go with? I have a... I have a an inkling that you probably went with a McVie song too. <laughs> this was one of those instances where I've listened to an album many times in my life, mm -hmm. but then I pull it out for the first time in a few years to prepare for this beloved podcast of ours, Christopher. Mm -hmm. And I have one of those, holy shit, where the fuck has this song been all my life moments? Really? Yes. And such is the case with my sleeper moment. 
which is actually track number six, Crystal. Oh, interesting. It is. Okay. Listening to this album a few days ago, I literally had to stop everything I was doing when the song came up. I turned it up, sat down, I took it all in, I played it again twice. It is absolutely positively beautiful. Not only is it, I think, one of Stevie Nicks' finest compositions ever, probably even better than If Anyone Falls in Love, uh, but which I do love. Yeah. Uh, but I think Lindsey Buckingham's vocals on this track are incredible. He's a brilliant guitarist, one of my all-time favorites, but I sometimes feel like he overdoes it as a vocalist just a bit. Mm -hmm. I think he pushes himself a bit too much, but it's quite the opposite on this song. His mm -hmm. gentle vocals sort of caress the melody, and then Stevie's harmonies when they come in, oh man, it is just, it is sheer perfection to me. And I, I, again, I've heard this album countless times over the years, and I don't know why this song, which was initially on a Buckingham Knicks album, um, yeah. and I guess they redid it for this album. Right, right. I, I don't know why I overlooked it. I think maybe because it's sandwiched between so many other great songs, but man, that song really moved me. Yeah, it's a great sleeper. It's, it's got kind of like a little country twang to it almost. Um, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, you're, I agree with everything you said, though. I mean, the, the interplay between the two of them is fantastic. And um, yeah, and Buckingham is so subdued on this. You know, he's usually so, like, I don't know if he is or not, but acts as if he's just coked out of his mind. <laughs> but I mean, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but this one is so restrained. Um, it really is beautiful. And on the, on the original album, it ends the first side, which is kind correct. of a way to, you know, it's a great like closing song because it, it's just so simple and powerful. Exactly. I, I, the song really moved me. I'm not going to lie. I've played it. I don't know how many times over the course of the last 72 hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good choice. It's a good choice. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you approved. Yours was quite good as well. Now, what do we go with? Because we, we agreed with, uh, with one another's uh, Nadir this week. What did you go with for the Zenith? I am really, really quite interested, interested because this is a, man, this is a difficult choice. Yeah, well, I, I think I told you. I mean, I listened, I, I, I considered seven songs probably. Um, and it kind of broke down for me. I think there's, there's songs on this album that are really iconic and so well-known, like Rhiannon, Say You Love Me, Landslide, that are, I think, truly great songs. But I've heard those so many times that even if maybe one of those is the best song on the album, and it may well be that that's the case, I, they just don't they just don't jolt me as much as they used to um you know i i almost picked monday morning i think that's i one thought of, you were going to uh i came so close i think that's one of the great opening tracks of all time i would um, agree it is so infectious and 
in the end, I went with a little, a little different pick. I picked a song that, quite honestly, the, the struggle I had with it is that it almost doesn't fit on the album. Wait a second. Did you, did you pick the last song on the album? I did. I picked I'm So Afraid. Wow. Which, I, you know, it's a much harder rock song than the rest of the album, which is Correct. why it doesn't, it doesn't really fit. Um, but I think it's such a great song. It's got this darkness to it that the rest of the album, for the most part, does not have, which I kind of think is cool because, you know, the, the whole story is that after this, they go on to do Rumors, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham's relationship uh, breaks down during the course of that um, in these wild uh, knockdown, drag out fights, which creates this... Uh, unbelievable tension that drives the band towards this, you know, the incredible rumors album. So I think it's kind of great that this ends with, I'm so afraid, you know, this album that has this real warmth to me. Uh, Foreshadowing a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. And, and the other thing that I'm just going to say, you know, we talked about Lindsay before. I love Lindsay Buckingham. I saw him in, I want to say it was 2009. Uh, Berkeley uh, Music School in, in Boston. I was not attending, but saw the concert there. And you they know, passed up on your xylophone audition. They didn't grant <laughs> you admission with a full scholarship. <laughs> yeah, no, they uh, they didn't take me. But they're uh, lost. Lindsey Buckingham, Rolling Stone, and you know, not that Rolling Stone is the be all end all, but on their list of the hundred greatest guitarists of all time. They have Lindsey Buckingham 100th, which to me is criminally low. That's um, horseshit. I think he is a virtuoso, a virtuoso, and I think sometimes his his ability gets lost because, you know, when they do kind of move towards yacht rock or some of their softer rock, which is a lot of their, the category a lot of their bigger hits would come under, um, you know, it doesn't really feature his guitar playing as much, um, or at least as noticeably. Uh, I'm So Afraid is one where he just lets it all hang out. And he does. it's so good. And seeing him live, I, I believe he did that when I saw him. I know he did it when I saw him live. And uh, I mean, it just brought down the house. Um, so it was partly, you know, a bit of a sentimental pick uh, as well. But I think it's a great song. I'm So Afraid is a great song. I think the issue I've always had with it is I'm so afraid of the song. Like it's, <laughs> no, a, very, exactly. it's, it's a very dark, <laughs> unsettling. It's kind of like looking ahead, not only to rumors, but like years later when he, when he had his solo stuff, remember the song go insane. Oh my God. It will make well, you go insane. Right. It's a great song, but it is, it is out there. And, uh, but no, I mean, I'm so afraid. I think it's an incredible song. And look, Rolling Stone, they don't know what the hell they were talking about. I mean, I, my two favorite guitarists rank very low on that list. And I'm no musician, but the style of guitar that I like comes from, again, my two favorites, Lindsey Buckingham and another one who we've spoken of a couple of times on this podcast, and that's Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. And Incidentally, they both have a similar style in that they don't use a guitar pick. So they almost play it like they play a banjo. Hmm. Wow. 
and I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that I'm so afraid is just an absolute incredible song. And, and you're right. What a way to end the album. Yeah. After this album that again, it, you know, it's to me, it's not that it's a always upbeat. Um, it certainly has some uh, emotionally difficult moments um, on this album, but there's a warmth to it. And this song this is not, this is disturbing and uh, it is. yeah. Now I'm, I'm very curious to see where you went. God, this was a tough choice. I mean, I, you, you touched upon something at the onset of this episode, Chris, where you said that Fleetwood Mac were in a unique situation and that they had these three singers, these three creative forces on top of having the incredible rhythm section of the two founders of the band. McFleetwood and John McVie. But I sometimes feel like this era of Fleetwood Mac, listening to them can be like watching the three tenors in concert, you know? <laughs> you had Carreras, Domingo, and Pavarotti. Like, who was the best? It's impossible to say. Carreras sang with so much heart. Domingo had that suave, velvety sound, and Pavarotti was, you know, Pavarotti with that bright, ringing voice, the killer high notes. How do you pick the best? It's the same thing here. You have amazing songwriting and amazing moments from Buckingham, Nick, McVie, all who bring their A-game for this era of the band and in particular for this song. That's why I couldn't decide on a song. I really couldn't because there are so many good songs. So I think I cheated a little bit, but I feel like there's one band member who shines brighter than the rest on this album. And that person is my Zenith. So Chris, my zenith, I could tell you in three words. Christine fucking McVie. <laughs> wow. Okay, okay. I mean, listen to me here. Yeah. You've yeah. got 11 songs on this album, right? Yeah. Warm Ways, which you mentioned as your sleeper. Incredible song. Mm-hmm. Over My Head, which we haven't spoken of uh, much during this episode, which I think is an equally impressive song. Say You Love Me, a sentimental favorite that I never get tired of. Mm -hmm. World Turning, a song that you don't like all that much, but an impressive collaboration between her and Lindsey Buckingham. Sugar Daddy, which I kind of like. <laughs> uh, and it has me wondering, did she coin the phrase Sugar Daddy? Because if that's the case, I mean, that's... That's pretty impressive, Christine McVie. <laughs> I, I see that phrase about 60 times a day on Tinder. So that's, you know. <laughs> um, as good as everyone else's contributions to this album are, and they are exceptional, McVie's moments for me on this album feel the show. I could argue that Over My Head and Say You Love Me are the best songs on the album, and Warm Ways isn't far behind them. That's why it's, it's, such a, it's such a challenge for me because I could go with any number of the Christine McVie songs as my zenith. So at the end of the day, I, I, I went back and forth on this and finally I just said, screw it. Christine McVie is my zenith. And you, you texted me a couple days ago commenting, you kind of like the way she looks on the back cover of the album, do you not? Oh, she looks incredibly sexy and cool on the back of the album. I mean, she... You know, <laughs> you look at the back of the album, Lindsay has like the early stages of 
the strange afro that he was rocking for most yeah. of the 70s. Um, you know, and Stevie Nicks, you know, very attractive woman, but she's kind of in her like, you know, her gypsy, the early stages of her gypsy garb. And right. uh, Christine McVie is in, you know, these, these tight jeans and this like, uh, you know, button down shirt. She's just like the personification of, of cool. And, and her hips look amazing. I'm looking at it right now. She's, yeah, I mean, but it, yeah, she, she's just, she looks amazing. Yeah, and she's, uh, I mean, it's tough to argue. I mean, I, she's, she's so criminally underrated because the Buckingham Nick story is such, you know, it's one of the music world's great, uh, you know, loves and, and breakups. Um, and McVie, she just kind of like slides under the radar. And even her style, like we talked about, it's kind of an under the radar, smooth, very beautiful style um, musically. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're giving her some props because she deserves them 100%. 100%. She does. And I'm going to say something here. One of my first ever celebrity crushes when I was very, very little. You know, like when you first realized, like, oh my God, like, you know. Right. When you're like five or six and you yeah. look at like a, a picture of a woman, you're like, that's a sexy woman. Um, Linda Carter for me. Okay, Linda Carter for you, yeah. a little more mainstream. Yeah. Like a lot of guys our age might have said like Farrah Fawcett or something. Right, right. Um, for me, it was Christine McVeigh. Get at it. And, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. And I, I, I'll tell you why. So this was probably like 1983, so was I six, and we had um, – just gotten cable TV. And do you remember like back in the day, HBO would show the same, like five things over and over again all yeah. day long? Yeah. One of those things was the Fleetwood Mac Mirage concert um, from like 82 or 83. And I, it, I remember two things about it. Lindsey Buckingham wearing this stupid hat on his head and just thinking there was <laughs> something so sexy about that blonde girl behind the piano. Like any time it popped up on television, I mean, I was glued. I was glued to watching it. And in particular, I was glued to watching Christine McVie and just how sexy she was. But then the second the camera would pan to McFleetwood, I would run out of the room because oh, he was yeah, a terrifying. scary looking son Ter of a bitch. Terrifying, yeah. I mean, terrifying. I, <laughs> yeah, and the thing, and I'm not just saying this to kind of shift and be pc but it's it's not just the sexiness but she's just fucking cool like she you, is you look at i'm looking at the back of the album now and the other four if one of these four people walked into a bar today wearing what they're wearing in the back on the back of this album cover i mean you'd be like what what the <laughs> what the fuck is happening here? Who is this? Like, what is this person? McVie, what she's wearing in 1975, she could walk into a bar today and be the coolest, sexiest person there. Um, she's just got this kind of timeless thing going on. She really does. And it's that classy English woman thing going, I think, too. Yeah. She has. Yeah. Um, this segues quite well into... Are there any particular moments, uh, pop culture moments or memories that you have associated with al this album or anything that comes to mind as you've listened to it? Well, I know where you're going to go. You're going to go for the, when 
Christine McVie uh, submitted the restraining order against you. Uh, well, no, because legally we can't talk about that. <laughs> um, no, for me, uh, you know, I, I was going to say a couple things. One, I touched on a little bit already, was just when I saw Lindsey Buckingham live, and I think it was 09, you know, he played a few songs from this album. Um, and in particular, I'm So Afraid, I mean, he, you know, it's maybe a five minute song on the album. I mean, he turned it into like an eight minute, <laughs> you know, tour de force with multiple guitar solos. Uh, and it was this really, it was a very small, intimate venue at Berkeley. Um, and I was sitting kind of in the balcony um, but it was so small that, you know, sitting in the front of the balcony, you're almost like directly above him. Um, and my God, what a performer. I mean, he, you know, he at that time was no spring chicken, um, you know, must've been. He's probably late fifties at that time. I think yeah. he's 70 or 71 now. Okay. Yeah. And he, he played, you know, for, I think over two hours and you know, just every minute of it, he is just so intense. I mean, that's, I think, what defines Lindsey Buckingham is that sort of obsessive intensity that he has, and it it translates into his songs. Um, but just just amazing to watch. And, I, you know, that's probably one of the reasons that I picked that song as my zenith, too, because I have such a connection to it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. How about yourself? Well, you know, before I give you mine, there were two things I thought, two directions I thought you might have gone with uh, for your memories associated with this. And um, neither of us have mentioned the fact that you and I saw the opening night of their 1997 reunion tour, reunion tour being the rumors line um, at the old yeah. Meadows um, outside of Hartford, Connecticut. I don't know if you remember that. I, mean, oh, I know I do. That was the other thing I, I almost mentioned. Yeah, what a, what a concert that was. My God. Yeah, that was... Well, that one stands out. Not simply because it was opening night, but also it was just it was a beautiful, crisp fall night. We were outside. There was, I think, uh, there were four of us. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was just amazing. It was an absolute amazing uh, it, concert. I mean, how long had they been broken up before that? Uh, that was, I, they, well, Lindsey Buckingham left the band right after they completed the Tango and the Night album in 1987. So it was 10 years. 10 years. Uh, they, they only had a one-off reunion for the Clinton inauguration in 1992, which wasn't all that good. Um, I never liked Don't Stop that much. Terrible song, Don't Stop. Yeah. That would be my nadir on rumors. Spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> the other thing I thought you might have gone with is that the album is produced by a fellow by the name of Keith Olsen. <laughs> I almost brought that up. <laughs> who, for the, our listeners out there, Keith Olsen was also the name of our awkward, passive-aggressive seventh-grade science teacher. He was very passive-aggressive, wasn't he? He was kind of a tool, let's face it. Well, you know, let's be nice. Well, let's be nice. Anyway, uh, I digress. So what I went with, uh, a little different, and there were several, several memories associated with this album, mm. um, and some pop culture moments as well, but there was this hip cigar martini lounge about 15 minutes from here in Fairfield. Uh, the lounge was uh, down the road 15 minutes, a few towns over, 
in the late 1990s into the first years of the 2000s, and uh, it was the place to go to on a Friday or Saturday night. The place that? to be. It's called the Loft. Remember the Loft? Is that in Westport? South Norwalk. Oh, the Loft. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Loft. Yeah. And you know, it was a place you went to be seen and pick mm -hmm. up girls or try to. Mm -hmm. And the owners or the management, maybe they would make uh, mixed CDs, you know, probably using Napster or BearShare or LimeWire or one of those um, and have those CDs played every night while the bar was open. And people thought it was just amazing because they, people thought they had some like satellite radio piped in or something. But I knew that these were mixed CDs because with my ear for music and identifying specific places and times with music i would remember the sequential order of the songs and what would come next so if i were there on a friday night i'd turn to whoever i was with and be like oh yeah they're gonna play you know um i don't know uh, enrique next yeah. um typically the songs were all sort of contemporary r&b or party music of the day i remember they'd play i love the way you move by outcast that was on the CD. Okay. Let me blow your mind. Remember the duet for Eve and Gwen Stefani? That was on the CD as well. Yeah. Uh, Groove Jet by Spiller, which I quite like. That was on there. Anyway, same 25 songs I would hear every Friday or Saturday night when I was down at the loft and I was slugging down some overpriced vodka and trying to pick up some brunette who wanted absolutely nothing to do with me. <laughs> but nestled in the midst of these hip, urban contemporary songs was Say You Love Me. Mm. And it was so out of place, <laughs> but so amazing. And more than any other song that would play at this place on a Friday or Saturday night, Say You Love Me would get people moving. It would get people smiling, mm. swaying back and forth, even singing along. The other songs wouldn't do that. And such is the magic of Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah, that's really like, quite beautiful. Yeah, no, that's those. I love those uh, those little moments, especially when you can. I've, I've had similar moments with, uh, you know, when you get older music sprinkled into contemporary stuff, and it it just can pop in a way that makes you realize, man, there really there really was something special to this song. There was. It, it has staying power. Yeah. Now, how well do you think the album captures the cultural zeitgeist of the era? I think it's pretty good. I mean, I think that, I think that their sound kind of captures that mid-70s singer-songwriter uh, vibe. I, I think it's quite indicative of that era. Um, and if you look at the back of the album again, and you see Lindsey Buckingham with a button-down shirt unbuttoned to his, his navel and... Uh, Stevie Nicks and this, uh, I don't even know how to, this <laughs> country westernish fringe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I and it looks like they're in a public restroom. I believe they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. So I'm going to say it, it captures it quite well. They probably shot the photo in black and white so you can't see like the mountain of cocaine <laughs> sure. behind John McVie in the, sure. in the sink there. Yeah. Sure. Well, what do you think? Would you agree with that? Somewhat. Yeah, I think I would. I think what this album does more so is that it lays the foundation 
for the capturing of the cultural zeitgeist that was to come two years later with rumors, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so if this album somewhat captures the cultural zeitgeist, rumors does tenfold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yes, to answer your question, yes, I, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think, perfect album? I think so. I wouldn't change anything. I mean, as much as I don't like, uh, or I'm not crazy about world turning, you know, it's not a disaster of a song. And I, I think that this has a quality that a lot of the albums that we've gone through does, which is when you put it on, you don't need to take it off until it's done. You don't need to skip anything. You know, it, it's very cohesive and beautiful all the way through. What say you? I think so. Yeah, I think it's perfect. 11 tracks. Most of them are excellent. Even the ones that aren't excellent are still pleasant enough to listen to. And as we said earlier, it's the perfect companion piece to Rumors. And it's just mind-blowing that, that this band put together and released these two albums, you know, in a span of what, not quite two years of one another? That's just, it's mind-blowing. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. So do yourselves a favor, go out and uh, listen to the eponymous 1975 Fleetwood Mac album. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Chris, as always, a pleasure. John, a pleasure. And uh, we should remind people that you can check us out on Twitter at Podcast Closely or on Instagram at listenclosely.podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. Let us know if there's any albums that you are hoping that we cover. Let us know what you think about World Turning. And let us know how sexy you think Christine McVie looks on that back album cover. <laughs> yeah, we took about a 12-minute departure into how cool Christine McVie is. But, uh, well I could have gone on longer. I know, I know. All right. It's Always a pleasure. All right, John, take care. Be well.